Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church.
One day, a Roman soldier in a shameful gambling game won the blood-stained garment that once had clothed my king. A cheap robe of linen, no great value did it hold. But when worn by the master, it was worth more than gold. You see, a few days before, why this old robe had changed the life of a tired and helpless woman who believed with all her might she reached out and touched it with hope to be restored she knew this plain old garment was the vesture of the Lord. And God is as common garments to do uncommon things. And God His uncommon dreams So it's not what you are now that matters You see, it's what He can make you to be For if God can take an old and change a life, then surely he can use you and me. You see, we are the reason that Jesus came to die. And we have been chosen to send forth his light so it doesn't matter if your worth is great or small God needs some willing vessels just common garments that's all and God is as To do uncommon things, and God is as common people to live out his uncommon dreams. 
beside me for I'm sheltered in the arms of God so let the storms rage high the dark clouds rise they won't worry me for I'm sheltered safe Shall 
Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Amen. Thank you, Dee, for that special music. This morning, if you will, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. I know several of you like to take notes, and so we will be starting a new sermon series here, so you can uh, start that this morning. Uh, we're going to be here for quite some time as we're going to go paragraph by paragraph through Ephesians. And in fact, this morning, just dealing with the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 1 as we focus on the subject of two the saints. And as you are turning there, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we do thank you for the way that you've already prepared our hearts to hear your word. And Lord, we're here because we want to hear a word from you. Well, we, we want to hear a word from you that, that might encourage us, that might equip us, that might maybe discipline us in some areas, correct us. Lord, but most of all, I pray that if there's even one here today that doesn't yet know you as Savior and Lord, that today this, this message, that your word might, might touch their heart and they might see that they need to come into relationship with you, that they might come into that place of being able to be referred to as a saint of God as well. Lord, I know that I'm a very weak vessel. I pray that you might hide me behind the cross and only you'd be seen, and only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The story is told, um, actually the report is told, of an elderly couple several years back who they were both found dead in their apartment. And the autopsies discovered that they had died of malnutrition. When the authorities searched the home, though, they found several paper bags with cash inside of them. And when they counted up the cash inside of those paper bags, there was more than $40,000 in cash found. And yet that couple died of malnutrition. How foolish it is to die of malnutrition when you have plenty of money, when you have plenty of resources to buy food. We know that the book of Ephesians was written to people who were much like that. This letter was written sometime around 61 to 63 AD when Paul was imprisoned in Rome. The city of Ephesus was located at the mouth of the Castor River on the east side of the Aegean Sea, and it was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia. It was a wealthy city. It was known as a political and commercial and educational center. It was called the Queen City of Asia. A massive temple, we remember, to Diana was located there at Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In Paul's day, the city boasted a population of around 300,000 people. And yet it was a city that was steeped in paganism and immorality and wickedness. In Acts 16, 6, as Paul was about to commence his second missionary journey, he thought about going to Asia. He thought about going to Ephesus. But the Holy Spirit did not allow him to go there. Sometime later, the gospel made its way to Ephesus, probably taken there by Aquila and Priscilla there in Acts chapter 18. But near the end of his second missionary journey, Paul finally made it 
to Ephesus, spending some three years there preaching the gospel and helping this fledgling church get its feet under it. And then Timothy followed Paul as the preaching elder in the church at Ephesus. Timothy had to battle against false teachers within the church, which we see Paul address there in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. The church also had problems with legalism and false doctrine and foolish arguments among the church members. And so there is this young church that's plagued with problems. They are like this elderly couple that we mentioned early, earlier this, this morning. They are rich in the things of God, but they do not know it. This book came to them to let them know just what they had in Jesus and who they were in Jesus and how to spend what they possessed in Jesus. Verse 1 here addresses this book to the saints which are at Ephesus. This letter was written to this church but not to them alone. In fact, many scholars believe that this was a circular letter. That is, that it was copied many times and sent to all the churches in Asia Minor. Many ancient copies of this letter do not contain even the word Ephesus. In many of them, there is a blank where that would go. And so this would explain why there is no personal or geographical references in this letter. It is a letter not just to one local congregation, but in verse 1, he says, the faithful in Christ Jesus. This book was written to us as well. And so Ephesians was written to teach us all about whom we are in Jesus Christ. What we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and how to use what Jesus has given us for his glory and for his honor. This morning, we are going to begin a series of sermons that are going to take us, like I said, paragraph by paragraph through this book of Ephesians. And so this morning, I simply want us to introduce the book and tell you about some of the great truths that we will uncover here throughout the coming months. This book has been given many soaring titles through the years. It has been called the Heavenly Epistle and the Crown and Climax of Pauline Theology. Here, Ephesians falls neatly into two parts. In chapters 1 through 3, we find it to be doctrinal in nature. And then in verses 4 through 6, we find it to be very practical. The first three chapters tell us what we have while the last three chapters tell us what to do with what we have. The first three chapters reveal our riches in Christ, while the last three chapters tell us how to spend what we have been given in Jesus. Ephesians has been called the believer's checkbook. Imagine having an account upon which you could write checks as often as you wished in any amount that you wished, and that account would never be diminished. How many of you could use a checkbook like that? I think I could. Well, that is what the believer has in a spiritual sense here in the book of Ephesians. This book reveals the riches of God's grace to the believer. And it teaches us about what we have because of who we are in Christ. And then Ephesians shows us how to spend what we have been given in Christ. This is a book about riches the riches of his grace, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the riches of his glory. But also, this is a book 
about the fullness we enjoy in Jesus. Be filled with faithfulness of Christ to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Be filled with the Spirit, he reminds us over and over again. But also these riches and to this fullness arise from his grace and his peace and his will and his pleasure and his purpose, his glory, his calling, his power and his strength, his love, his workmanship, his spirit, his offering and sacrifice and his armor. And so here Ephesians mentions riches five times. Grace is mentioned 12 times. Glory is mentioned eight times. Fullness or filled is mentioned six times. In Christ or in him, some 12 times. The idea of in, with, and through Christ is found 30 times. You see, this is a book about the overwhelming, infinite wealth we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers are amazingly rich because of their relationship with Jesus. Ephesians is a book about riches and fullness, but it's also a book about the divine mystery. When the Bible refers to a mystery, it speaks of a truth previously hidden, but now revealed. When it comes to God, there are many different mysteries, and these mysteries fall into three primary categories. First, there are mysteries that no one but God has ever or will ever know. These are divine secrets that God reveals to no one in no place or at any time. The second type of mystery includes those things that are hidden from most people, but revealed to a secret group, to a select group. All men know something about God, but they do not know what we know. They don't have the understanding of the deeper truths about his word and his nature. They cannot know these things because they are dead and blind to the truths of God. The redeemed, on the other hand, do understand these truths, and they know more about Christ than the lost person will ever be able to know. And so we have understanding that the lost world can never have. But then thirdly, a third kind of mystery revolves around truth that has been hidden for a time, and then it's revealed to the people of God. And that's the kind of mystery we find here in the book of Ephesians. That word mystery is found in Ephesians six different times. The mystery Paul is talking about is revealed to us in chapter 3 in verses 1 through 6. It is the mystery of the church. That's the mystery that he is speaking of. The ancient Jews were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a king who would come and who would, would reign as king over Israel. They were expecting a king to come who would deliver them from their enemies and establish the eternal kingdom here upon the earth. That's what they were looking for. And when their Messiah came, he was not who they were expecting him to be. And so they rejected him and they refused to recognize him as their king and when Jesus was before Pilate, they said, we have no king but Caesar. And then the Jews watched as their king was crucified upon a Roman cross. The Jews went on looking for a king and a kingdom. And in fact, they are still looking to this very day for their king to come. What the Jews failed to see was the age to which we are living in today. 
The Old Testament prophets never saw this day. The Jewish scribes and scholars never saw this day. We are living in a divine mystery. We are living in a sovereign parenthesis. No one ever imagined that there would be 2,000 plus years between the arrival of the Messiah and the coming of his eternal kingdom. The truth is, while there is no physical kingdom of God on the earth today, the kingdom of God is real and active and powerful. And we are waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come to the earth to establish his kingdom here. But while we wait, while we, while we wait here, the Lord Jesus Christ rules his kingdom from heaven right now. He rules his kingdom as he lives through his people, the church. And so in the Old Testament, God's people were known by many different metaphors. They were called a vine. They were called a bride. They were called a flock. They were referred to and called a kingdom. And those same metaphors apply to the people of God in this day as well. Because the church is a vine. The church is a bride. The church is, is called a flock. And the church is also called a kingdom. The church is also called something here in Ephesians that it has never been called before. And that is it is called a body. We are the body of Christ. Believers are literally the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He dwells in us through his spirit and he energizes us through his life. And as we yield to him and allow him to live through us, Jesus Christ is actively seen moving and working in the world today. He rises up in us, he lives through us, and he accomplishes his will in this world. And it is this mystery of the church as the body of Christ that is revealed in the verses of this wonderful book. I want to take a few moments this morning to just look at these first two verses. And in these verses, Paul illustrates what I have been trying to get across as we've introduced this book this morning. As Paul begins to write his words, they're a vivid example of the fullness and the riches that we can expect as we study together through this marvelous book. As Paul writes, he he doubles up on everything he says, it seems. He wants his readers to know that God's blessings are exceedingly great and abundant in nature. And so let's look at these first two verses this morning. If you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you. And peace from our God and Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. The first thing we see here is a word about authority. Paul wants us to understand who is writing. So Paul reveals a dual source of his authority. He writes as one who must be heard. He writes as one who has been sent for the purpose of declaring new truth. You see, Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle is the word that refers to a sent one. The word is used in the New Testament to refer to those men who were chosen to be foundational lead leaders of this fledgling church. They were the men who received direct revelation from God, and then they gave that revelation to God's people. They gave, it to, they gave us the apostles' doctrine. And there are only 14 men in history that can wear the title of apostle. There were the 12 apostles originally 
of which Judas defected. And then Acts 1.26, we see that Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. And then Paul became the 14th disciple there in 1 Corinthians 15.8. Paul met the requirements of being an apostle. That is, he saw the risen Christ, and then he was included into their number. There are no apostles today that fit this description of what an apostle is. Anyone who calls himself an apostle today is a deceiver and is a false prophet. Paul was a man, though, sent from God for a very special mission, and he was sent with divine authority. He also tells us that he is an apostle by the will of God. That is to remind us, to remind the the Ephesians and to remind us as well that this is not something that that Paul chose for himself, but it's a path that the Lord Jesus Christ chose for him and placed him on. Paul's own testimony reveals what he knew to be true about himself. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 15, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exceptions. That, Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You see here, Paul's use of the word does not arise out of, out of pride, but out of profound humility that he had been counted worthy to be referred to as an apostle. But notice Paul's, Paul, Paul here also knew that his first priority was to be a servant of Christ. God had placed his hands on Paul and called him to a very special place of service. And he does the same for every one of us. If you are a child of God, he has given you a place of service. Now, none of us can refer to us in the same ministry position as Paul as as an apostle, but we have a place within the body of Christ where he expects us to serve in the church. And when we are all in our place serving the Lord, the body of Christ functions as it has been designed to function. And so when Paul mentions his apostleship, he is not throwing around a title to try to impress people. He is merely stating his divine authority to be able to deliver truth to the people of God. And so here we see that Paul constantly had to defend his apostleship. But then secondly, we see a word about the addressees. And so here we see having written about the dual sources of his authority, Paul issues a dual designation concerning the recipients of this particular letter. He calls them saints and he calls them the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so let's examine those two titles just for a moment. He first calls them saints, which is very interesting. When people hear that word saint, they think of dead religious people who have been exalted by the church. We know that some uh, might even think about some kind of statue somewhere that they have prayed to in the past. But certainly that is not at all what Paul has in mind as he comes and he refers to us as saints. The word saint means a most holy thing. So it's speaking of something that has been sanctified and set apart for God's exclusive use. It speaks of how God sees us. 
That's how he sees you and how he sees me if you were his child. Every child of God is referred to the Father as a saint. Every person who is saved by the grace of God and washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is a holy thing set apart for the glory of God and for his exclusive use in this world. If you are saved, then you are a saint. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You are now a saint of God. And that's a pretty incredible thing. And praise the Lord, nobody has to vote on that. God's got the final word. That's who you are. And then Paul calls the saints the faithful in Christ Jesus. While that word saint describes our standing before the Lord, the word faithful describes our activity in the world. Because we have been saved and sanctified by God, we are new creatures in Jesus. As a result, we live a a distinct, different life than the world around us lives. In other words, those who know the Lord are his holy saints who live faithful lives in a world that does not know the Lord. But then thirdly, we see a word of acknowledgement. Do you see the fullness of, that Paul is describing here? He mentions a full authority first, and then he, he mentions a full designation for the believers, and now he offers a, a word of full acknowledgement or greeting to the recipients of this letter. Paul extends a double blessing to his readers here. Paul greets them by saying, grace to you. That word grace translates to a word that means goodwill, loving, kindness, or, or favor. We, we use the, the word to speak of the Lord's work in saving us and keeping us and, and changing our lives. We all know that grace refers to the undeserved love and favor of God for lost people like us. In other words, it's, it's God's rewards at Christ's expense. We, we understand that. But in that day, it was a common greeting to see grace to you. Today, we say things like, like hello, or, or how are you, or what are you up to, or stuff like that, which means absolutely nothing. Uh, it has no meaning, really. Um, but when people in that culture met, they would say, grace. In other words, they were saying, I pray for you. I pray for God's best upon your life. And that's a lot better than just saying hello, or what you up to? I mean, because when we say what you up to, we don't really want to know what you're up to. We don't have time to figure out what you're up to. We're just trying to get by. But this really meant something. This meant something. And if we would learn to greet one another this way, it would change the world. It would be an opportunity to acknowledge the grace of God that has bought us. It would be a prayer for God's grace to be upon those that we meet, it would open a door for us to be able to have an opportunity to witness to the lost if we were saying, grace, the grace of God be upon you. They're going to ask, what does that mean? Try that this week. Try saying, grace to you, may the grace of God be upon you. See if they don't ask you, what do you mean by that? And it opened up a witnessing opportunity. So Paul's giving a wonderful word there. And then Paul says, peace. John MacArthur says, Grace is the foundation of which peace is the stream. You see, church, because of the grace of God, we have peace with God. Without the grace of God, we have no peace with God. Because we have peace with God, we can have peace with our fellow man. It is the grace of God that brings us to God. And when we come to God, His grace is able to give us boundless peace in our hearts. But then fourthly, quickly, we see a word about 
the agent. A word about the agent. Everything Paul has said thus far flows from this source. Paul's calling and his apostolic authority, the, the sainthood and the faithfulness of the believers and this dual blessing of grace and peace, it all comes to us through our relationship with God the Father. A relationship with God is only possible through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so when we trust Jesus as our Savior, all the riches of God become ours in him. So we become instantly wealthy in the things of God. We were aliens and strangers. We were spiritual bankrupts, spiritual paupers. But then we came to Christ and everything changes. Here's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Praise the Lord for what we have in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because we deserve it, but because of his amazing grace. So we're embarking on a glorious journey as we move through this very special book that Paul has written to the church. And I trust the Lord will feed our souls and challenge our lives and and change Brinesburg Baptist Church because of a result of spending time in this book. And so I hope that you'll come prayed up and ready to hear what God wants to teach you over the coming months. And if he's spoken to you this morning, in any way, I hope that you would come. I hope maybe, he, maybe he's spoken to your heart about your need to, to be active in the church and recognize yourself as a saint of God, that you have been set apart for, for a particular purpose, for a particular plan. You're his, and maybe you're not doing that. Maybe you haven't been serving the way you need to serve. Maybe you haven't even joined the church, and you know that until you do that, you're not going to be able to get very plugged in. And so maybe you need to come this morning. But maybe you heard that word, saint of God, and you said, that's not me. Because I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't be referred to in the way that Paul refers to the church here because I am not a saint. But you can become one today. You can become one when when you recognize your sin and you crawl out to Christ for salvation. You say, God, I know that only you can save me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And I want you to be Lord. I want you to take over. I want you to show me how to live the life that you desire for me today. Maybe that's you today. If I were to ask, are you lost, you'd have to raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. If if you'd have to say that this morning, then you need to be saved. You need to come. If you can recognize that if you were to die today and you you would go to hell, then you need to come and you need to be saved today. If you know enough to know that there's sin in your life, if you know enough to know that you're separated from God, you need to come today. You need to be saved. You need to come to that place where you can refer to yourself as a saint of God because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know what your need is today. I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you as we've introduced this book to you today, but you do. You know what the Lord's called you to do. Be obedient. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we are so very thankful for the opportunity to enter into this wonderful book of Ephesians and and to see the riches that you have given to us in relationship to Christ. And so today I just pray that if there's even one here today who needs to make a decision, it might be a decision to to join this church family. It may just be a decision to come to this altar and give some things over to you, Lord, and to get some things right and to make some commitments that that we're going to live a life that is for you and not for us. Let them come. But if there's one who needs to be saved today, if, there, if there's one right now who's listening and they're saying, Brother Brad's talking about me, 
I'm the one who's lost. I'm the one right now as he's speaking. I know that if I were to die today, I would go into eternity into hell because I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I pray that you would lay that so heavily upon their heart right now that they would come and they'd say yes to Jesus. Lord, you know the work that you're going to do in the coming moments. And so let us in advance give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, come if the Lord's called. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.